Hey fellow chasers, just a reminder before we get into the episode to please rate and review the show. Check out thechasepodcast.ca for more content, and most importantly, if you like what you hear, please share it with someone else. Just a heads up, if you've got kids with an earshot, I'm going to drop an F-bomb at the end of the episode, so earmuffs. Here we go. Hamlet is generally considered to be Shakespeare's greatest play. As with all great characters, Prince Hamlet has a fatal flaw, his indecision, forever weighing action versus inaction. Hamlet doubts himself, he overanalyzes situations, and pretty much does anything to allow himself to procrastinate, never making a decision. Maybe it's this inability to act that makes Hamlet resonate so much why the character has endured so long. Inaction can be appealing. It's often the path of least resistance. It's safe, familiar, but maybe, just maybe, Hamlet would have fared better if there had been something to push him out of his state of suspension. You're listening to The Chase. So a lot of the times people who come to see me for tarot are not necessarily looking for tarot to give them all the answers or to tell them what to do. They're really looking more, I think, for reassurance around what their own intuition is telling them. That's the voice of Liz Worth. We're chatting in a quiet room at the Inner Arts Collective, a co-working space for wellness and self-development practitioners in downtown Toronto. The Inner Arts Collective is home to a wide range of wellness and personal development practitioners, from coaching and counseling services to more alternative practices like past life regression. As Liz talks, she shuffles a deck of tarot cards in her hands. She tells me about the clients who use her service. I had removed my shoes when I had arrived. The building is treated as a sacred space, and so Liz and I are sitting in a room on the top floor, both barefoot, and I realize I'm also sitting slightly to the left of my comfort zone. This isn't my typical Friday afternoon. Um, For me, when I read, I just always start with, um, with an intention or a question. So my style of reading is very much driven by whatever we're trying to find out. Because the context of of a question is actually going to determine the meanings of the cards for me more than anything else. Um, There are only 78 cards in a tarot deck, which sounds like a lot, right? But when you're talking about life, there are, you know, an infinite number of possibilities to which kind of, which angle or which outcome or which possibility we're really looking at. So um, we kind of need to know what are these cards speaking about within any given context. Um, So do you have a question? One question? I have many questions. That's why I started this project in the first place. Okay, I'm going to leave you in suspense about the question I chose because I want to jump ahead a little bit into the reading. To the moment where Liz first takes a look 
at my cards. Hmm. Okay. So it's interesting. You have the death card, right? And this is always the card that people joke about that they don't want to get in a reading. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> um, I find that even people who don't know tarot know that there's a death card. Um, I did not know there was a death card. And why is Liz laughing? But I also want to say don't be scared of this because it, it's a card of transformation. You could have led with that, Liz. Just saying. Okay, I'm not dying, but the story my cards are telling does end with a transition. And while this reading is for me, I can't help but be struck at how appropriate the cards seem for Liz as well. You see, Liz has been on a transformative journey herself, from published author to tarot aficionado. You might think I've reversed the order there, that it sounds like success should be traveling in the other direction. If you did, well, simmer down, judgy, because Liz's tarot business, that's now her full-time job. Her success at it has led Liz to giving talks about tarot at conferences and events around North America, including Toronto, Montreal, Portland, New York City. She's written horoscopes for Flair magazine, and last year, she was featured in Flair's How I Made It list, which is a roundup of 100 women with really cool jobs in Canada. So no matter how alternative Liz's choices may seem to other people, she has a reason to be pretty confident about what she's chasing. combination here we have the hanged man the four of wands and then death so your question is where is all this creative energy going where are all these intentions leading to death is a card of transformation it's a card of rebirth so if you're looking for this creative energy to become some kind of means to an end for something else it can become that for you um but it's going to be a bit of a process because with this four of wands in the center, we have this person who's dancing around these four pillars. You've mentioned that you have a few different interests and a few different areas that you're channeling your energy into right now. It's probably going to be a matter of figuring out how do you continue to juggle all of those. I don't feel like this is necessarily about finding just one thing to be a singular focus for you. I think that you'll continue to have your hands in a few different areas in order to really feel like you can close that older chapter in your life that you're looking to change and be able to really see where all of these new projects can truly lead to, but you have to bring all of them with you. That's more from my reading with Liz. I had asked her about pursuing a creative life if I'd ever actually make it happen. Sounds promising, doesn't it? For Liz, living a creative life always seemed like it was in the cards. At a young age, she felt a pull towards writing. In school, she was acutely aware of the subjects she excelled in and the subjects she did not. When I was 13, I was sitting in science class and we had a test or an assignment or something that I totally bombed it. And I was just like, why do I, you, I don't even need to know this. This is so pointless. I'm going to be a writer anyway. I don't have to do this, right? It's kind of like this little you know, moment of defiance and rebellion that we have when we're kids. And, and I, I really felt like such an epiphany. 
it only seemed natural to Liz that she would turn this passion into her life's pursuit, into her career. Excited to have found her calling, Liz looked to share this epiphany with her mother. At the time, I remember I was reading a book of poetry by Edgar Allan Poe as well. And I had that book in my bag and I was like, you know, reading on the bus my way home. And I was so excited. And I told my mom that I was going to be a poet. And she was so mad at me because she said, you know, poets don't make any money uh, unless they're dead. That's what she said. Right. And she said, that's so stupid. And I think you should figure something else out. But I was like, no, 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 I'm going to I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do this. And you know, hindsight, my mom, I think, was right in a lot of ways, right? Poetry doesn't make a lot of money, but I did go on to uh, to write a few books of poetry and publish them successfully, and I've toured as a poet and a spoken word artist, and I, I did all those things that I wanted to do. Um, but they didn't really become my full-time job, and writing is pretty challenging, you know? It's really hard to make a living as a writer but I always was working my way towards that. Young Liz wouldn't be dissuaded. She began the process of finding a way to get her voice and her work out there. I got really into zine culture and um, was very inspired by the idea that you could just publish your own work. And so this was in the 90s and people would still do that a lot of the times, right? We didn't have websites yet. We didn't have blogs yet. So people would find a photocopier somewhere and make their own publications and sell them for a couple bucks, right? And, and I used to do that and I would go downtown and take my zines to independent bookstores and drop them off for consignment and things like that. And I started reading poetry at open mic nights when I was 17. And again, I was just very determined that this was what I was going to do. Liz was channeling her creative energy in several directions. Eventually, the idea for a singular passion project emerged. At 24, Liz began work on her first book, Treat Me Like Dirt, an oral history of punk in Toronto and beyond. Liz was obsessed with the idea of this book. She worked on it every day for two years. While she knew it was a niche, she felt strongly that there was a rich story here, a part of Toronto's music history that hadn't been told yet. But if she was going to tell that story, Liz was going to need a publisher. I had started to shop it around even before it was finished. I shopped it around to, I think almost as far as I knew, every every possible Canadian agent that might be interested in a nonfiction book like this. And there aren't that many agents in Canada, really. And they all said no. And then I shopped it around to every possible Canadian publisher. And they had some, a few of them were kind of interested, but they, they all passed on it ultimately. And then when I had kind of exhausted all those options in Canada, I started shopping it to U.S. publishers and U.K. publishers. But all of those people came back and they said, this looks really interesting, but surely you can find someone in Canada who can publish it. And I said, actually, I can't. So I just wasn't really left with very many doors that were opening for me. But I believed in it so much because I, I really felt like everyone was wrong. That sense of artistic hubris, that she was right and everyone else was wrong, that gave Liz the perseverance she needed. And that perseverance paid off. Although 
in an unconventional way. Um, but one of the people that I had interviewed for the book uh, had this record label in Montreal. And so in my process of talking to him over a couple of years, you know, he said, well, you know, if you can't find anyone to do it, I'll put it out through my label. So I came back to him and I said, you know, still can't find anyone to do it. Do you still want it? And he said, yes. So we just moved forward from there. But it was a strange publishing deal because uh, my book was only distributed in record stores. A bit of an alternative distribution strategy, but given the content of the book, it almost made sense. Whether by accident or divine providence, this strategy worked and worked well. So when it was first published, he did a print run of 500 and it sold out right away. And he had to do a second print run of another 500 and then that sold out right away. So then he did a third print run of a thousand copies and then that started selling really fast. And then a mid-sized Canadian publisher came along and said that they would really like to license it. That deal cemented the success of the book. It doesn't become a New York Times bestseller, but for a previously unpublished author, this is huge. Really huge. And Liz takes the success of the book, which no one else believed in, with all the grace befitting of punk rock. I think I knew I was right all along, right? And all these people had said no to me. Um, but once the book came out, you know, everything that I thought would happen with it did because I knew that people would be interested, right? And I, I knew I wasn't wrong about that because I thought like this is something that hasn't been talked about before and people were so hungry to know this part of Canadian music history, right? Punk is huge. It's a huge subculture. And for people in Canada to know a little bit about the history that happened locally here is so special. First, I thought this was going to be the start of something else for me, but it didn't feel the way I thought it would when the book was published. That isn't the way the story's supposed to go, is it? Liz successfully publishes her book, and that's supposed to be her big break, her launching pad into a career as a writer, but instead the experience starts to sour. And one of the things that I... I I think I really struggled with after the publication of that book was that a lot of the people that I interviewed for it had um, a lot of, I think their own expectations around what would happen with their stories. And so I remember one of them told me basically that he was angry at me that I didn't make him as famous as he thought I would. Um, <laughs> Which sounds funny in hindsight, but at the time I was like, really, I didn't even know that that was my job, right? Um, and then, you know, other people, and if, if anyone ever reads the book, they'll, they'll see this for themselves because it's all in there. But a lot of them have these rivalries with each other that go back decades at this point. You know, um, when, they were, when they were much younger and they were, you know, they had these bands, but they were also, yeah, I mean, they're also just really kids in, in bands, a lot of them, but they have these rivalries around who should have had more success or who should have had what or whatever. And I, I found that after this book was published, sort of all these 
rivalries came back out again and I was dealing with a lot of people's egos around who wanted me to settle a score for them or who wanted more more space in the book than they got or felt they they should have had and there were all these things and I thought what have I given life to? Burdened by the weight of other people's stories Liz turns her creative energies towards more personal projects. She focuses on poetry, creative writing, and performance art. But after a little while, a cold reality puts a damper on Liz's creative pursuits. She needs some money. Enter the day job. Liz begins working in the not-for-profit sector, in the area of marketing and communications. She initially looks at it as a hiatus of sorts, one that could benefit her creative endeavors. I was making some space to have a bit of security um, for myself so that I could explore creative projects a little bit more and not have to worry about anything being lucrative or necessarily even going anywhere, right? And to be able to just create for the sake of creating for a while. But the plan doesn't quite go the way it's supposed to. And time does what time does. It passes. And that hiatus turns into an eight-year stint where that nine-to-five life leaves very little room for Liz's creative projects. Much like Hamlet, Liz finds herself trapped in a period of inaction. This becomes clear to Liz as she sits in a meeting one day, and it sparks a bit of an existential crisis. I remember sitting in, in a meeting with my boss one day in her office and she had a window behind her and I was just looking at the window and she was talking and I couldn't even hear her, right? I just couldn't even, like I had no idea what the meeting was about. And I was just looking at the window and I thought, what am I doing here? I'm not supposed to be here. But I didn't know where else I was supposed to be. Hangman tarot card depicts a man who is suspended upside down. He's hanging by his foot from the living world tree. It's believed that the hangman is actually positioned there by his own free will. His right foot is bound to the branches, but his left foot remains perfectly free. At the same time, he's holding his hands behind his back in a way which forms an inverted triangle. The expression on his face, it's serene and peaceful. While the Hanging Man card definitely resonates with me, again, it seems to be quite relevant to Liz's journey as well. Liz hangs suspended, not in a tree, but in an office building. While she got there of her own accord, she's now frozen there. Part of the reason for her paralysis? She had lost her fearlessness. I I was always very comfortable with uncertainty, and I think that that's a key component to anyone who wants to create or anyone who wants to to be entrepreneurial in any kind of way. And all of a sudden, working in this nine-to-five capacity, I lost that comfort level with uncertainty, and I didn't know how to find it again. And that was kind of scary to me because I thought, like, who am I becoming? Why can't I just with this job you know every day I would go home and and I would ask myself what am I doing breaking out of a period of inaction is hard harder than we generally talk about we romanticize quitting a job I mean who hasn't dreamed of storming into their boss's office and tendering their resignation with some dramatic flair 
But the reality is, that's far easier said than done. I couldn't bring myself to leave. It's really hard to quit a job, right? It's really hard. People don't talk about how hard it is, but it's hard. And I think that it's really easy sometimes for, for some people to say, oh, just leave, you'll find something else. Or, or just stick it out, it'll be okay. You have it, you have it made, right? Things can look good on paper. And it's, it's really easy for other people to kind of give advice when it's not their situation but um but yeah it, it we really can get stuck sometimes while she doesn't just quit her job liz does begin a period of some serious introspection i started to you know to kind of slowly think back to things that i i hadn't done for a long time for myself and i had all this interest in things like tarot and astrology and magic and spirituality when I was younger. And while I was working on on becoming a writer and making zines and doing all these other things, there was this parallel interest along the way um, where I I would read about those things. And I remember I spent a whole summer when I was 13 learning how to read playing cards. And I used to look for, for all these little magical moments in my life and make a lot of space for those types of practices and I realized that I wasn't doing those things. Making space in your life, either for people or pursuits, is a choice. While not intentional, Liz had chosen to put many of her interests aside. The time had come to make some different choices. But she was going to need some help getting unstuck. It's, you know, I was doing something I think a lot of people do, which is I, I would read my horoscope every day. And there was this astrologer based in Toronto. His name is Phil Booth. And I really, really loved his writing. And the way he wrote about astrology um, always just made me feel good. You know, some horoscopes are very predictive. And they say, you're going to meet a man on Tuesday and he's going to offer you a job or something. You know, and Phil Booth doesn't write like that. You know, he writes in a way that is very self-reflective and very self-aware. And... And I thought, I'm going to go see this person. I'm going to get a reading from him because I feel like I need something and I'm not figuring out how to create it for myself right now. I've been trying, but I have no idea what to do. So she gets a reading. And during that process, Phil recommends that she take up tarot. It's a seemingly random suggestion, even to Liz, who hasn't even thought about tarot in years. But she thinks, hey, why not? And she picks up a deck and starts learning more about it. While she wasn't sure what to do with this new hobby, she found that it gave her something personal to focus on. Something that was just for her, with no other pursuit really attached to it. It was pure in that way. After a while, tarot became a bigger part of Liz's life. As she learned more about the practice of tarot, it began to wake her to different ways of perceiving who she was and thinking about her life in different ways. But this was still a very personal passion. It was time to start sharing that passion with others. At this time, uh, social media was was getting pretty popular as well. And so I had a, a Twitter account and I would just kind of tweet out to anyone who was in Toronto who was following me and say like, you know, I'm learning tarot, let me know if I can practice on you and people would take me up on the offer. Right. So, so as time went on, I started reading for other people and that really helped me to strengthen my skills. And then friends started to ask me if I would come and read tarot at their parties. 
and I had other friends who are writers and um, and artists, and they would have launch parties and things. And sometimes they'd say, "Well, you come and read tarot at my party," and I'd say, "Yeah, a little bit." Like I, I would tell them, you know, I don't really do this professionally, right? I just do it for fun. I'm just trying to learn. And they'd say, "Oh, that's fine, right? Like, you know, just come if you want to do it." So, um, so through the the course of of you know just saying yes to these things, people started to offer to hire me, and they would offer to pay me. So now it's a side hustle, but she started to think that this was something she wanted to do at a bigger level. The only problem, she had no idea how to find the energy to build a business with a full-time job. One night, she sets an intention to figure it out, no matter what. She made a promise to herself to make it work somehow. Yeah, when I set that intention, I wrote it down. I had a little a little notebook and. Um, I lit a candle and I just kind of sat there and I thought about, you know, really what I needed to do at that point, right? I had this realization that I wanted to start this tarot business and that felt so right for me, but it also felt exhausting as a possibility because it felt so much bigger than, than I I had capacity for, right? Um, Given that I was working full time. And so, yeah, so I just, you know, I, again, I just sat down, I, I wrote this intention down and I really just did it kind of as a promise to myself to figure it out. And I didn't put pressure on myself to figure it out right at that moment. I didn't put pressure on myself to try to start working on this business the next day or anything like that. I just left it there in that journal, just trusting that making that promise in that moment was the beginning of something. And, but, that, but I also just let it be for that time. It was a solitary, almost ceremonial moment. From Liz's perspective, it's not so important how you set the intention, but that you make a commitment in that moment to follow it through. Whatever magic inhabited that intention, well, it worked. And so I set this intention, and then almost a month to the day of setting that intention, I got laid off from my job. I got a severance package and I was so excited, right? My boss is so upset and he's like, I'm so sorry. And I said, no, this is great. This is great because basically, you know, is being shown the door with a little bit of cushion with the severance package to just do this full time. And that, my friends, was the easiest layoff in the history of layoffs. With her cushion underneath her, Liz sets out to build a business. But first, she does something important. A little crazy, but important. I deleted my resume. That was one of the first things I did. And I decided that I wasn't, I wasn't going to mail out my resume to anyone. I wasn't going to act out of a place of fear because I was worried that, you know, what if I get scared a month from now and I'm not making any money? And I start to feel like maybe I should look for a job. And I knew that if I looked for a job, and got a job that that would be the end of the potential for this business, at least for now, and that my life would feel like it was going back on hold again for a while. And I just couldn't do that. So she's all in now. There's no turning back. I started to think about what kind of services I wanted to offer, right? Really, you know, figure out what, what are the structures of my, my hours and what am I charging and what am I doing and what am I telling people I can do for them and what what can I not do for them and just being really clear on what the work itself looked like. And I also, you know, started to write a lot about tarot and astrology and um, I, I really wanted to 
talk about these things with people and make sure that they understood what my philosophies are on them and also to be able to share some of the things that um, that I think are important to know about the energies of, of the times that we are in when we do say follow the moon or pay attention to what's happening to the world around us. And so I started blogging a lot and that, that also fulfilled my, my writing capacity. And it was really through, through starting a blog and, and really keeping it updated regularly and creating a space where people could help, you know, kind of tap into to some of the, the lunar cycles and the other astrological energies that I was talking about and that I was following that really allowed my business to grow. In other words, content marketing. Maybe some of her skills from her office days came in handy there. Her business is growing, as is her platform for sharing her passion for tarot. She's currently working on her second book about tarot, so she's still been able to flex her creative writing muscles. She credits her ability to commit to this endeavor for her success. This is my full-time job. This has been really, I've treated it as my full-time job since I started the business. So, and I think that that's a really important thing to do if we are moving towards self-employment and we really want something to be a full-time gig, you have to treat it in that way. And I think it's fine to have something grow as a side business for a while, but at some point you have to be all in. And you won't be able to make full-time money at it until you're working it full-time. You can't make the full-time money doing it 20 hours a week or 10 hours a week, right? You just have to completely immerse yourself in it. we want to have or the creators we want to be um, may not necessarily go the way we expect them to but we can still get something from it right but you have to continue to allow yourself to grow and evolve from it too and if you're not evolving and you're not transforming again and again something's probably off something's off and you're probably feeling pretty stuck like the hanging man suspended in the tree or Hamlet, paralyzed, unable to act. Whether it's an intention or a tarot card, maybe we could all use the occasional shake to break us from our suspended state. Remember, Hamlet is a fucking tragedy. Everyone dies. So don't be Hamlet. Be Liz. Move. Act. And let the cards fall where they may. Oh, and what did the cards say for me? Well, here's the last word. But this new path that you take, it's not really so much about hanging out anymore. It's really about learning how to move and hustle.